Well, I never thought I would do it, but I recently allowed Sue to talk me into taking ballroom dance lessons. Yeah, you ladies. <laughs> okay, let, let me tell you how this got started, right? Like uh, a year or so ago, we were at a resort, Sue and I, up in Wisconsin. I go there oftentimes to write, and uh, while we're up there, they bring in one night a local swing band, the resort does, and they open up a dance floor, and we're sitting there watching people who really know how to dance. Particularly, there, there was this elderly couple that looked like they've been dancing for years. They, they looked like the, the, the legendary Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as they glided around the floor. And we're watching them, and Sue turns to me and she says, I would love to be able to do that. And then she, she adds, wouldn't it be fun to take ballroom dance lessons? And I say, sure, because that's what husbands are supposed to say in situations like that. Never dreaming that this awful thing would come to pass, okay? So now fast forward, just several weeks ago, my son Andrew, he Skypes us from France to announce his, his engagement. And so we get off the computer later, and Sue turns to me, and she says again, wouldn't it be cool to take dance lessons so next year at Andrew's wedding reception, we could kind of surprise him with our moves? And again, I said, yeah, sure, because I'm relatively certain this is not going to happen to me. Well, the next day, Sue goes online. She checks out the local park district, finds a class for beginners, dance lessons, ballroom dance, and she registers us. So she announces this to me, and I think, well, I got like one card left to play. So I say to her, you know, honey, I'd really love to do this, lying through my teeth, uh, but I'd feel more comfortable if I had some friends doing it with me. So let me check this out with a couple of buddies, and if I can get them on board, then, you know, then I'll do this with you. And I'm thinking to myself, no way am I going to get any buddies to agree with, agree with me. So I go to a couple of friends, and I ask them, and they ask their wives... And now we're all taking ballroom dance class <laughs> together. Yeah. yeah. Starts next Friday night. Don't show up, please. But if there's any consolation in the midst of this, here's what it is. If I'm going to learn how to do something that I'm uncomfortable doing, you know, it's out of my comfort zone, then I would rather do it with some buds. I'd rather do it with the moral support of some friends. Now, we're in the third week of a five-part series on prayer called Teach Us to Pray. We're looking at essential lessons that Jesus has taught us about prayer. And today we're going to be learning about corporate prayer. We're going to be learning about praying together with the moral support of friends. So if you brought a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And uh, this is going to be our text for today, though we're going to be looking at some other Bible texts as well. Let me give you a little bit of background, if you've got your Bible open. Uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. This is some weeks after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And it's one of the three times in the day when Jewish people would gather at the temple for prayers. And as Peter and John enter the, the temple gate, there's a man there begging, and he looks at them and asks for money. And Peter, uh, Peter says to him, we don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I do have. And he says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the guy is instantaneously healed, miraculously. And he leaps to his feet. In fact, the dude starts dancing around for joy. It's a, it's a pretty cool scene, unless you're a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, because they have just put to death, weeks earlier, 
this Jesus in whose name the man had been healed. So they send some guards to haul in Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and they basically give them a pretty stern warning. You've got to stop doing this, okay? No more healing in the name of the criminal Jesus whom we put to death. And that's where we pick up the story. They've just released Peter and John, verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Corporate prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, saying, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Well, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. But they only did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Three observations in today's text about corporate prayer. If you haven't taken your outline out, I encourage you to fill it in as we go. Here's the first observation. Corporate prayer is a high priority for Christ followers. Okay, corporate prayer is a high priority for Christ followers. Now, go, go back to the text, look at the opening verses that I read to you a moment, moment ago. Verse 23, on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together, say it with me, in prayer. No, no, say it with me means say it with me, okay? Did you Bartlett and, and DeKalb and Blackberry Creek people do that? I hope so. Say it with me. They raised their voices together. In prayer to God. Good job. A couple of, uh, of words or phrases I want you to note in those two verses. Uh, first, in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people. Went back. The, the question I had as I read this is, where did they go back to? Now, this is where it's helpful to have an NIV study Bible with all those explanatory footnotes because I, I looked at the, the footnotes for this verse and it said with regard to went back, this probably refers to the same upper room where the apostles had met before and where the congregation may have continued to meet. Now, when you hear that, the same upper room, does upper room ring a bell in your mind? And what big event happened in the upper room? Shout it out. The Last Supper, of course. This is where Jesus met with his closest band of followers just hours before he was arrested and then later crucified. It took place in the upper room. Now, Bible scholars say this was probably the upper room of a home owned by the mother of John Mark. Now, John Mark wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but he was an early follower of Jesus. He was good buddies with Peter. In fact, later, based on the information he got from Peter, John Mark wrote a biography of Jesus that we have in our New Testament. It's called the Gospel of Mark. 
And his mom owned, owned a house, and this is where uh, Jesus' Last Supper took place and where believers continued to meet after Jesus ascended to heaven. Just a, a side personal note here. When I was in Israel with my family this last summer, I stood at the very location where John's, John Mark's mother's house had once existed. Now, uh, today the house is no longer there. The 12th century crusaders built a church there. But as I stood in the church I thought, how cool is this? In this very spot, Jesus, the Son of God, met with his disciples and he broke bread hours before he went to the cross. And this is the same location, I reminded myself, where believers continued to meet together. They gathered together. And when they got together, one of their primary purposes was to pray. Was to pray. Now go back to verse 24. There's a, another word I want you to note here, and it is the word together in verse 24. They raised their voices together in prayer. Together just happens to be one of Luke's favorite words. Luke is the, the, the guy who wrote the book of Acts. In fact, he uses the word together ten times. In the entire rest of the New Testament, it only pops out once. But, but together, Luke was big as he told the story of the early church. He wanted to emphasize togetherness. That's to be a mark of Christ followers, togetherness. Now, for just a moment here, I'm going to take off my preacher hat. I'm going to put on my meddler hat, okay? So, so take this with a, with a grain of salt. But it occurred to me this would be an appropriate time to say a word about togetherness here because it's a high value for us at Christ Community Church. When we gather at our weekend services, one of the things we want you to experience is togetherness. Now, in St. Charles, uh, we've got a, uh, an auditorium of 2,000 seats, 1,500 seats on the main floor. And so one of the things we try to do to enhance, to foster the togetherness is when, when the service begins, we rope off the back rows because we want to force you to move down and in. We don't have to pull this at the regional campuses, by the way. If you're at a regional campus, we just fool you in another way. We set up so many chairs at the beginning of the service, and then as people continue to come, we add rows to the back. But we can't do that in St. Charles. The the seats are, are stationary, and so it's important for us to kind of move you in this direction so that you'll experience some togetherness and so that the people who arrive late don't have to be ushered uh, you know, right to the front of the auditorium and crawl over a bunch of people. You know, I had that happen to me last summer. My family was on vacation, and we, went, we decided to go to church together, and all I had was vacation clothes. So I show up in shorts and flip-flops, which at Christ's community, you know, that's not a big deal. But in this church, I walk in, there's a choir in robes, an organ with the pipes up at the front. And not only that, but I had dropped my family off at the door because it was raining cats and dogs. And I went and parked and then ran through the rain. And so I look like a drowned rat. And every back row is filled, so the usher walks me to the front of the church in squeaky flip-flops. Squeak, 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 squeak. I never want to show my face there again. Okay, so one of the things we do is we kind of we, we put the press on you to move down and in for togetherness' sake. Which means that, you know, one of the hardest jobs, one of the toughest ministries in this church, it's not traveling on a go team to Bangladesh, no. It's not parking cars in sub-zero weather, no. It's not working with crying babies in our nursery. <laughs> it's ushering. 
Okay, I think we, yeah. <laughs> you know, forcing you to go against the tide and say, please come down. And so all during the worship set, we'll, we'll continually be trying to move you to the front so that, you know, when it's all over and we sit down, there are some empty rows at the back for latecomers. And I know, again, some of you are thinking, I get her on time. I ought to be able to sit where I want. Let the latecomers sit where, you know, what's ever left. You are thinking that, aren't you? Because you're wired just like me. And I'd say, just, just a little change of attitude. Let's think togetherness. Let's think rubbing shoulders. And you folks, just because you like sitting up front, doesn't mean you're off the hook. See, my challenge to you to make this a togetherness place is to make sure before and after services you're learning names and you're greeting people and you're making this feel like family. Every week before our service begins, I pray, God, take this crowd and make them a family. Togetherness. You get it? Good. And you don't hate me for saying that? Some of you do. Okay. Now, I want to go back to the togetherness word in Acts chapter 4 because I want you to see it's not just togetherness for the sake of togetherness. Okay? It's togetherness for the sake of prayer. Look again at the middle of verse 24. They raised their voices together circle that together, in prayer to God. So corporate prayer was a big deal to these Christ followers. Now, please please understand, it wasn't because they couldn't pray on their own in their own homes. It was because prayer is something that God wants believers to do together, to do corporately as well as individually. This is a lesson that Jesus taught his first century followers. Now, what I'd like to do is to take you on a quick tour of the book of Acts, the story of the first century church, to show you how much these Christ followers valued corporate prayer. So keep your finger in Acts chapter 4, but go back to chapter 1, right at the beginning of things. This takes place about a month and a half after Jesus' resurrection and shortly before he ascends to heaven. Okay, he's about to go back to heaven, so these are parting instructions to his his closest followers, and he says in verses 4 and 5, on one occasion when he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, you get the picture here? Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives instructing his disciples. They're overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he says, okay, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave town until I send you the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, what are they supposed to do while they're waiting? Now, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus said in this regard, but we could surmise that Jesus had some specific instructions to give them what to do with their waiting time because of of what specifically they went back to Jerusalem and did. So drop down to verse 12 of chapter 1. Let's continue the story. So they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, Up stairs the upper room we got it popping up again there was a place where these believers could gather together a set aside venue where they could they could experience togetherness and what did they do when they were together those present were Peter John James the other disciples are mentioned verse 14 they all joined together there's our together word circle it constantly in prayer 
along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So there's about 120 Christ followers at this point. And what are they doing as they wait for the, the promised Holy Spirit? They are gathering together for the purpose of prayer. They're praying together. In fact, the word here before prayer is constantly which underscores my point that this was not a sporadic activity of the early church. This was something they did with frequency, with regularity. It was a high priority of these Christ followers to get together as a group and pray. Okay, that's Acts chapter 1. Go over to Acts chapter 2. Okay, Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter. Begins, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came... They were all, say it with me, together in one place. Oh, this one place keeps popping up too. They're back at their favorite locale and, and they're together. They're together. Now, again, Luke doesn't say here what they're doing, but in the earlier chapter, he had said that when, whenever they were together at their hangout, they prayed constantly. So we could assume they're praying here. What happens as they're praying? Verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now let, let me paint the picture a little, little more fully here. This is the birth of the church, friends. This is a huge, huge event. Okay, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jesus sending the gift he had promised. And, and, and it happens in Jerusalem to these 120 Christ followers at a time when there is a, a religious celebration going on in town. So there are thousands and thousands of people from all of the surrounding countries and people speaking a variety of different languages. And so the Holy Spirit falls on this group of Christ followers and they're suddenly able to communicate in other languages the good news about Jesus. And we're going to see in just a minute, 3,000 people that day in Jerusalem be, become brand new Christ followers. What launches all this? What launches the birth of the church, the pouring out of the Spirit of God, an evangelistic event where 3,000 people trust Jesus in one day? A prayer meeting. A corporate prayer meeting is what gets this thing kicked into high gear. Okay, what do you do with all these brand new believers? Drop to the end of the chapter. Go down to verse 40. We pick it up at the end of Peter's sermon. This is the sermon he goes out on the streets of Jerusalem and he's preaching at the top of his lungs and he concludes with many other words Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, th this is better than any WOW Weekend at Christ Community Church. 3,000 brand new believers. What do you do with all these Baby Christians, so to speak. How do you mature them in the faith? Look at the very next verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four activities that they taught these new believers that were an essential part of their spiritual growth. Please note they're all corporate activities. L listening to the apostles' teaching, you know, gathering together to hear God's word taught fellowshipping, which means hanging out with each other, breaking bread, which is just another way to say celebrating communion, and prayer. And by the way, I, the English translation is a bit deficient here, 
because the literal Greek reads, and the prayers, meaning there were set times when believers were getting together for prayer, and these new Christ followers were now devoting themselves to praying with others. And the word devoted here, it's the same word in the earlier chapter that appeared as constantly, same Greek root. This is not something they did occasionally. They were devoted to hanging out with each other and praying with each other. That's why they grew up so quickly in their faith. That's why they made such a difference in their world as Christ followers. Because they were taught early on the importance of corporate prayer. Okay, now we've already looked at Acts 4, and we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. Move over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter, chapter 12 tells this story of Peter is in jail. It's his third time in prison for preaching the good news about Jesus, Uh, but this time it's really, really serious because his good buddy James has just been put to death by King Herod. And King Herod has noised it around that uh, Peter is the next to go. He's holding Peter until an appropriate time to kill him. So what is the church doing? Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was praying. I won't read the whole story to you. It's a great story. As a result of their praying, God sends an angel to the jail who knocks off Peter's shackles, opens the prison door, and Peter is set free. An angel jailbreak. How about that? Now drop down to verse 11. Peter's freed. What does he do? Then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. The place, you know, the place to go where many people had gathered and were praying. So Peter is set free from jail and he makes a beeline. Where? To the house of John Mark's mother. Why? Because he knows this is where believers hang out. They gather together. Circle the word gathered there. And what can he suspect that they'd be doing as they gathered together? Praying, of course. Now, I won't share the rest of the story to you. It's pretty amusing, actually. If you, you know it, Peter shows up at the door, and the servant girl who gets the door is so excited, she leaves him standing there and goes to tell the group that's praying, and they don't believe her. You say, what losers, right? You know, they're praying that God will bring about Peter's release, and he's released, and they don't believe it. But I would say to you, yeah, you could fault them for not having great faith, but at least they were doing the right thing. They were together praying. Okay, now one, one, last, one last passage I want you to look at, the next chapter, chapter 13. It begins, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, some other dudes whose names I can't pronounce. Verse 2, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, that's Paul, his name at that time was Saul, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now you, you may not realize it, me just reading that briefly, but this is the birth This is the launch of the worldwide missionary movement of the church. Acts 13, friends, explains why Christianity didn't stay just a local Middle Eastern religion. 
Acts 13 explains why those of us today who consider Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, why we had the opportunity in the first place to hear about Jesus. It was because early on this group of Christ followers felt prompted, felt motivated to do something bold, to do something audacious, to take the good news of Jesus far and wide. They set aside a couple of missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, and and sent them out. And what is the context? What is the venue in which this is happening? They're gathered for what? A prayer meeting. While they're worshiping, while they're praying, God's Spirit prompts them to do this wild and crazy thing. Now, I I, I hope, as I've taken you on this tour uh, of Acts, that you've come come away with a keen sense that, that God wants the church to make corporate prayer a high priority. So the question is, how is the church doing, including Christ Community Church? Well, let me tell you what makes this challenging. You know, gathering the church for corporate prayer, a couple things come to mind that make this challenging. First of all, it's challenging because I find it hard these days to gather people corporately for anything, much less prayer, especially spiritual events, because I think there's a tendency in our culture to see a relationship with God as a highly personal deal, right? And, And so we don't tend to put as much value on corporate gatherings where hundreds, in the case of Christ's community, thousands of people get together. And so if our weekend becomes busy and we can't make it to church, we feel, you know, this is not a big deal. We could get Bible teaching, flip on Christian radio. You'll hear good Bible teachers. You know, we could get worship. All you got to do is listen to your iPod. You got some Chris Tomlin on that that you could rock out to while you're working out, praising Jesus. You know, we could get fellowship. We got a community group of four or five brothers or sisters or couples that get together during the week. You know, we could even serve. We don't have to come to church to serve, right? Just volunteer for the local homeless shelter or food pantry or crisis pregnancy center in your community. Who needs the church? Who needs the corporate gathering on the weekends? Evidently, we all do. Because the early church modeled the priority of getting Together, togetherness is a key theme of the book of Acts. There's just something about hundreds and thousands of people getting together. In fact, it's not just modeled, it's actually commanded in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. This is Hebrews 10, verse 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews commands us, don't stop, don't miss your corporate gatherings because they're moments for encouragement. When you draft behind a multitude of people who are headed in the same Godward direction, who are worshiping together, who are digging into God's word together, who are praying together, oh my goodness, it encourages your spiritual life like nothing else. So one of the reasons I think it's hard to do is we just don't, to get people together for corporate prayer is we don't always see the value of corporate gatherings, but we should. The the second reason I think it's hard to gather people for corporate prayer is we tend to see prayer as a private deal. One of the books that I was reading this summer in preparation for this series is called The, The Power of Praying Together. Now, the, the, the book as a whole was not a scintillating book, but there were two surveys in the book that really struck me. W- one of the surveys, according to this survey, I think it's 9 out of 10, yeah, 9 out of 10 people in our country surveyed 
say that they pray on a semi-regular basis and that they've seen answers to their prayers. That surprised me. I thought that's good news. A lot of people out there praying, they even say they've seen God, God respond to their prayers. The second survey struck me even more. 62% of the people who say that they pray never pray with others. So they're, they're praying, but, but they never, the husband's never praying with his wife. The mom and dad are never praying with their kids, maybe saying grace at mealtime, but that's about it. 62% of the people who say they pray, they're never praying together in a community group. They're never gathered in a corporate setting and engaging in prayer. Never. Now, I know, I know that praying out loud in a group is a threatening thing. That's why we put together that video before the sermon. We knew it would relate to so many of you. But, but I, I just want you to trust me when I say that if you'll ask God for the courage to break the ice and do this thing, it will transform your life. Husbands, when you start praying with your wife, it'll make an amazing difference in your marriage. Parents, when you start praying with your kids, gathering them to pray, when you start praying in a community group, in fact, let, let me just say, I think a community group is the best place to learn how to pray. I'm speaking as a guy, and you might not all feel this way, but I just think it's easier to pray with six other guys who are struggling to find the right words than it is even to pray with your own wife sometimes. And so let, let me say to the 400 and some community groups represented here, the, the, the leaders of those groups, make sure that you reserve time in your group for everybody to pray. And keep in mind that if your group is eight or ten strong, uh, that's a bit intimidating. So you might want to break it up into groups of three when you go to, to prayer because a community group is just a great place to learn how to do it. You know, this last week in my, my men's community group, one of the, the guys in the group told us about the double whammy that had occurred in his life the previous week. His son-in-law had been killed in an automobile accident. He was going out to California for the funeral, and the same week he discovered his cancer, his own cancer, is inoperable. And it is a thing of beauty to watch a group of guys who are not the most articulate in the world, but you don't have to be eloquent, just gather around this bud and pray. So I can't encourage you enough High priority, corporate prayer to make it happen. You get it? Good. Let's move on to my second observation from uh, Acts chapter 4 about corporate prayer. Second thing I want to observe is this. It goes hand in hand with worship. Okay, Corporate prayer goes hand in hand with worship. I want you to go back to verse 24 that I've already read once. Let me read it again. When, when the believers who were gathered together, when they heard this, when they heard Peter and John's report, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, this is their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What an interesting way to begin a prayer with praise and adoration and worship. And, and you know what? There are a lot of prayers recorded in Scripture, and if you, if you trace them through the Bible, you'll find that many of the prayers in Scripture begin with praise and adoration. You know, I, I think of the time in 2 Kings 19 when uh, King Hezekiah 
is being besieged in his capital city of Jerusalem. The wicked Assyrians, led by the general Sennacherib, are banging at the door with their battering rams. And Sennacherib says, sends a letter to Hezekiah saying, give up, okay, surrender. And what does Hezekiah do? He, he, he retreats by himself and he prays. And here's how his prayer begins. 2 Kings 19, verse 15. Opening words of his prayer. O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and earth. You know, when I read that, I think to myself, if I had been in Hezekiah's uh, sandals, not shoes, if I'd been in his sandals and the Assyrians are at my gate, my prayer would have begun something like this. God, help! You know? But not Hezekiah. He begins with adoration and praise, like these early Christ followers. Sovereign Lord, the first words out of their mouth. Sovereign comes from the same Greek word that we get our despot in English from. A despot is a leader who has complete control. In fact, oftentimes the word despot is used negatively. It's used to speak of a tyrant. But, but these guys are praising God as a benevolent tyrant who is large and in charge, which is really important at this point in their lives because they're under persecution and they need to know God's got their back. And so they begin with praise and worship and adoration, sovereign God. And then the prayer continues. Dr. John Stott who is a world-renowned Bible teacher and pastor, wrote a commentary on the book of Acts. He says they praised God along three lines in, in this prayer. First, they praised him as the God of creation. And you see that in verse 24 that I just read to you. In fact, if you got your Bible, circle the verb made. They say to God, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You are the God of creation. Go down one verse, verse 25. Circle the verb spoke. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. He's the God of revelation. They praised him that he's not a God who plays hide and seek with his followers. He chooses to, to divulge his plan for our lives, to tell us about who he is in the pages of his word. He's the God, praise him, the God of revelation. And then drop down to verse 28. They say, the, the people who put Jesus to death, they say in their prayer, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Circle the verb decided. God's the God of history. So these, these believers begin their prayer with worship. They say, God, you're the God of creation. God, you're the God of revelation. God, you're the God of history. You made, you spoke, you decided, and things happened just as you planned. Praise you. What I want to underscore here, again, is that, is that corporate prayer and worship go hand in hand with each other. You know, this is why we do so much praying in, a, in and around our weekend worship services. You, you might not know this, but before we ever open our doors at our four campuses, we put in some good time praying. In fact, we stop our rehearsing, all music comes to a halt 40 minutes before our services begin, and for 20 minutes we pray, and then 20 minutes early we open the doors. You know, I was preaching at a church this summer up in Michigan, and they were still doing sound checks, you know, one minute before the, the service began, and I thought, oh, I'm really glad we do what we do, that we pray hard. And so before you ever arrive at one of our services, the worship team, the band, the vocalists, they've been praying. 
The, the kids' world teachers, they've been gathered together praying. The ushers and greeters, they've been praying that you'd move forward and sit next to each other. <laughs> Before the service begins, we're praying. During the service, prayer's going on. Again, something you might not know, but during the services of Christ Community Church, there is a group, there's a team of people praying that this service will impact your life. At all of our campuses, we've got teams praying. Now, what we try to do is the team is a community group, and we ask every one of our 400 community groups to sign up for one service or two services over the course of the year where they'll gather together and they'll be the prayer team praying for God's impact on the service. And then during the service itself, we interrupt worship. We stop singing and we, we do as we did today. We have a time of prayer. Sometimes it's prayer of confession or prayer of thanksgiving or prayer for loved ones who don't know Jesus, whatever. And, and then when we do communion, the traveling communion, where we get on our feet and we're served communion, we're able in St. Charles to come up to prayer kneelers and kneel. And at all of our campuses, there are people at the sides ready to pray with you during the communion as the service is going on. And then after the service, you know, at all of our campuses, we have prayer teams ready and willing to pray with you. Corporate prayer is so critical to us. The campus pastors are going to be right up front, as Sue and I will be after today's service in St. Charles, ready to pray for you. Sue and I are usually the last people to, to leave the auditorium because we're not going to leave until everybody who wants to be prayed for is prayed for. So we, we just want to underscore the importance of wedding together, corporate prayer, and worship, worship services. And that's not the only place we put the two together. Three times a year, three times a year, we do what we call an ignite service of praise, worship, and prayer. And our next one is on September 30th, Sunday night, September 30th. And I would love to have you there. And, and sometimes we do this at, at all four campuses, and sometimes we get all four campuses together in, in one location. Let, let me give you a quick recap of how we came about doing this service. See, we used to do two special kinds of services every year, several times in the year. We, we would do a worship service, strictly worship, and we would do a prayer service, strictly prayer. So our worship services were hugely popular. In fact, one of the last ones we did that was nothing but worship, we had like 2,000 people in the St. Charles Auditorium. Every stinking seat in the place was taken. People were on their feet. They didn't need the seats because we're shouting our praise and singing at the top of our lungs. It was a party. Now, during that same period where we had 2,000 show up for worship, we had a prayer service and 250 people showed up. And those are the kinds of things that cause pastors to lose sleep at night. Because I'm thinking to myself, God, you know, what happened to the 2,000 worshipers when we went to pray? Because I know when we sing, when we worship you in song, we're often saying, you mean everything to me, and whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And he says, okay, one of the things is corporate prayer. Oh. So I was the booger who changed this all out. So you could blame me. I came to our staff and I said, you know what, I think the day of doing two separate services is just wrong. Based upon what the church did in the book of Acts, we ought to put worship and prayer together. And so we put the two together in an Ignite service three times a year. What's happened? Well, the last time we did Ignite, we had seven to 800 people show up. Now, on, on the one hand, 
You know, that's not the 2,000 worshipers that, that we once had, but it's three times the number of prayers we've had in the past. And so I'll take that. I'll take that trade-off. Because I think it really, really honors God when we back up our worship. Our worship is not just grooving to some good music, but we back it up by praying. I think God is honored. But let me say, on the other hand, I'm not content to stop at seven or 800 people. I long for the day when we'll fill this auditorium again with 2,000 people who are here to worship and pray. So, would you come on September 30th? And I know some of you are thinking, well, we got young children and it means a babysitter and it costs money. And we, You know what we're doing this time around? We're providing child care because we want you to be here. We want you to be here. And, and if you've got, let's say your kids are 8 years old, 10 years old, and you're wondering, do I bring them or not? My answer is, all depends on you. See, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. Some of you, your 8 or 10-year-old is ready to pray. And you, you would just love to kind of have them under arm, have them with you, have them part of this whole thing. It's just an hour and a half long. We do two 15-minute segments of prayer. That's it. The rest is, is worship. And again, it's a pretty rowdy, praising God time. And if your 8- or 10-year-old would love to participate, then by all means bring them. But if you're thinking to yourself, they would do nothing but wiggle and distract me, and I'm kind of new to this whole thing, I would just rather be with other adults praying, then, then by all means come without your kids. This is such an important thing for us to do, to wed worship and, and prayer, to make this a high priority of our church. I hope you'll set aside September 30th to sweeten the deal. We're going to be praying for two important things during those two 15-minute segments. We're, we're going to designate one of those 15-minute periods to pray for our country. How many of you think our country could use prayer about now? Yeah? Yeah. The second thing we're praying for, in the second set, we're going to be praying for marriages. Because this is a huge emphasis of ours this fall. We're doing a series. Our next series is on married life. Uh, we have Married Life Live, a, uh, a workshop for couples who, who want to get better at doing married life together. We've got counseling offered people here. We, we encourage people to do the uh, Family Life Weekend Away together to bolster their, their marriage. And if you're thinking, well, I'm single, I'm, I'm a high school student, this doesn't relate. Oh, it relates because, because you want to live in a community, you want to live in a country with strong families. So even if you're not married, I hope you'll come. You'll help us pray for married couples. One other thing to sweeten the deal. Three of our international partners are going to be there that night of September 30th. Shadanke Johnson of Sierra Leone and Ben uh, Butler of Nicaragua and uh, Hubert Morquette of Haiti. They're all going to be here. And when the, the whole thing's over, we're going to do some uh, rugby scrum praying around these guys, just kind of laying hands on them, gathering around, and sending them out, leaving them really encouraged. So September 30th, I hope that you'll plan to be here. Now, one last thing that I observe in Acts chapter 4 about corporate prayer. It unleashes God's power in a church. It sets God's power to work in a church. Let me reread the closing verses of this scripture to you. I get goosebumps when I read verse 29 and following. This is the end of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, us, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, get this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
Can you just feel the tremors? Kind of an earthquake-type feeling. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Let me just remind you, friends, from our quick survey of the book of Acts of what happened when the church gathered and prayed. See, minutes after Jesus left the planet... They, they, they immediately went to a venue, a location set aside where they could gather, and they began to pray. And like a week later, what happens? The Spirit of God is poured out. 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day because these believers prayed. They got together and they prayed. In fact, that's Acts 2. We're in Acts 4 today. I didn't read this, but elsewhere in Acts 4, Luke tells us that by this time, the group of 3,000 has grown to 5,000. And Luke says, oops, I just mean men. 5,000 men. Now you add the women and children. We probably have, in the course of two chapters in the book of Acts, the church growing from 120 to 3,000 to probably 15 to 20,000 people because the power of God had been unleashed through prayer. And it doesn't end there. All these believers, one of the first things they're taught to do is get together with other believers and pray. And that's making them, that's making them champions for Christ now. That's making them killers for the kingdom. That's making them strong believers who go out and change their neighborhoods and workplaces and families and so on because they've learned how to pray. And it, it, what, what else happens? See, it doesn't end there either. Persecution heats up, but in the midst of the persecution, what do they do? They get together and pray, and they face it down, and they're given more boldness. And it doesn't end there. In the midst of their prayer, God says, set aside some missionaries. Let's carry this to the ends of the earth. What would happen at Christ Community Church if we had this corporate a gathering for prayer and we interceded for the ministries of our international impact partners, Shadanke in Sierra Leone and Ben Butler in Nicaragua and the Czech Republic in Brazil where we work on the Amazon River and uh, Haiti and other places. What would happen in the ministries of our international impact partners if we got together and we prayed hard? See, I don't know, I would love, I would love to see God's power unleashed at Christ Community Church. Would you? Ha uh ha, -huh. would you? Would you? And let me tell you what sets it loose, corporate prayer, corporate prayer. And so in closing, one last appeal, September 30th, set it aside. Let's rock this house. Let's shake the place. Let's turn the power of God on by praying together. And furthermore, there's a wall. As you leave the St. Charles Auditorium, the wall is on your right I'm not sure where it's at at the regional campuses, but when you leave each of our auditoriums, our four auditoriums today, you will see a sign-up for 24-7 prayer. Because Ignite launches a week of prayer, we try to keep prayer going non-stop during that week. So we ask people to sign up for a 30-minute segment. Some of you will sign up for a middle-of-the-night segment. You'll set your alarm. You'll get up in the middle of the night. We give you what to pray for. We print out a little book that, that covers details, bullet points of things you, you could cover in your prayer. And we try to keep prayer going, a wave of prayer hitting God's throne for a, a week solid. So if you've not signed up for that yet, you'll see my name up there. I signed up right away, trying to be a good role model here. So go over there afterwards and sign up for a segment of prayer. Let's see what God does as we pray together corporately. Stand together with me.
when we're done, we got praying going on. <laughs> so if you could use some prayer, the prayer team will be on the far side of the aisles, and Sue and I will be down front. Father, as we close in prayer, I pray that you will move us through what we just read. Let it leave a mark on us. For those of us, God, who it just terrifies us, the notion of praying out loud in a group of people. Because your, your, your early church did it, because we see it modeled, we know this has got to be a good thing. And so by faith, by faith, we're going to step out. We're going to do something risky, dangerous. We're going to pray out loud. We're going to gather with our community group and pray. We're going to come on September 30th. God, move us to pray together. Husbands and wives, may this be a week, Lord God, when they break the ice, when before the day's out, husbands and wives turn to each other and say, hey, honey, let's pray. Well, prayer is introduced to family life, not just to say thanks for the meal, but hey, let's pray for other stuff going on in our family. God, I pray that we would be a praying church, praying corporately. And God, for those on the outside looking in, my prayer this week has been, help me not to scare anybody away who's still investigating the faith. And they're, they're thinking, now, you guys are crazy. And we are. We are, Lord. We're crazy about you. We want the world to know. But, but I just pray that those who are still on the outside looking in would say, but you know, it's a good kind of crazy. And I'd love to be part of a group that's passionate like that. And so I, I pray that even now, as I close in prayer, you'd whet the appetite of those who are still investigating to say, I want to know Jesus in that way. And may this be the day when they surrender their lives to you and say, I'm in, I'm in. I want to be forgiven. I want you to come to live on the inside. I want to learn how to connect with God in prayer. This is what I want for my life. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen.